Once again, I invite you to turn, your, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 14. We are this morning looking at part 3 of a series on verses 1 through 19 entitled Tongues and Prophecy. And uh, we are this morning looking at a selection from these verses because we kind of covered... Uh, the majority of this section already, but we left some gaps, and so we're going to come back and look at that at this time. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 19, so that we are familiar with it in its entirety. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says this, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you... May prophesy, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church... But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound... If they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen and your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For if you are giving thanks, well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all, however... In the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I might instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Well, as we look at this section, we're thinking about um, the gift of tongues as compared to the gift of prophecy, which is what Paul is contrasting in this passage. And we know that The Corinthians had a problem with the gift of tongues. They prized it too much. They all wanted it, apparently. And uh, they also uh, thought that everybody should have it. 
and some of them were counterfeiting it, evidently, and uh, it's certain that they were abusing it. Because chapters really dealing with this issue, chapters 12 through 14, and here we are in the middle of chapter 14. Uh, I've spent quite a bit of tongues was, according to the book of Acts, I said that it went out to four people groups. Who remembers who those people group, who's the first group of people that experienced the gift of tongues in the book of Acts? Yes. The Jews, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a national feast day, uh, and it was a day where people from all over the Mediterranean world came, Jews came to celebrate that feast. Many of those Jews would have been born in other nations, and so they would have had different languages that would have spoken as their home language. Some of them would have known Greek and might have gone to a Jewish temple that worshipped in Greek as opposed to Hebrew. But those who lived in Israel, those who lived in Jerusalem, would have gone to temples that spoke Hebrew. There were both Hellenistic Greek-speaking temples, and, um, and there were also these other temples that were uh, Hebrew would have been what the scriptures would have been read in, and then the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the, of the Hebrew scriptures, would have been read in the other ones because it was the common trade language, and many Jews who were spread out around the Mediterranean world wouldn't have been that familiar with Hebrew, not familiar enough to really speak it as their first language. And Greek might have been their second language. So they, they, they list the 15 different nations there in Acts chapter 2 that these different people were from. And they all heard them speaking in their own language, in their own tongues. And so it was the proclamation of the wonders of God, a supernatural ability for people from Galilee, Hebrew speakers, to speak in these languages. The second group of people who experienced tongues in the book of Acts, were who? Samaritans, yes. So the Samaritans, uh, Acts chapter 8, Philip had gone up to Samaria uh, preaching, and he, he, uh, he, all of a sudden, uh, they believed. So Philip, uh, Peter and John came to pray for them in Acts chapter 8, and then they received the Holy Spirit. And the same gift that was manifested for the Jews when the Holy Spirit came during that transitional period from Old Testament saints to New Testament saints was now manifest with the Samaritans. And it was a sign to the Jews that, hey, the, 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 the Christianity, the gospel is for Samaritans. And then who is the third group of people? Someone? Anyone? Gent- Gentiles, yeah. Acts chapter 10 the home of Cornelius. And so Peter went up there and uh, he had a vision, go ahead, kill and eat, the hunter's verse. And so he actually went up there, but it was uh, assigned to him that Gentiles were accepted. They also experienced the same gift. So the, they're, they're, they're being confirmed by God supernaturally that the gospel was for them. Fourth group of people, Acts chapter 19, yes? The Old Testament saints. They're John the Baptist's old... Um, Testament, uh, some, of the, some people who were John the Baptist's disciples who had heard that the Messiah was coming. They might have even known uh, some things about him, but they were unfamiliar with Jesus and the Spirit. And so they believed and they also received the Spirit. But the norm in the book of Acts was that when people believed, uh, they didn't have a visible sign like tongues. At least it's not recorded. So Thousands of people came to faith in Christ on other occasions, and we don't have any record, but we have those four events. 
And we learned two key principles about spiritual gifts that really should motivate us to desire the right gifts. And the first one we found in verse 1, the first principle was a desire for spiritual gifts can be good. He says, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So it's good to desire spiritual gifts. The second principle that we learned, that we saw last week, was that prophecy was a better gift than tongues. Paul makes a case in verses 2 through 19, really, that prophecy should be desired more than tongues. And he gave three reasons. We saw two of them last week. Tongues were limited in their ability, and secondly, tongues were limited in their impact. The third reason he gives, and we saw their clarity was chapter uh, 14, verse 2, and also verses 6 through 9. And then we also saw their impact was verses 10 and 11, where it actually says in verse 10, or verse 11, if I do not know the meaning, and that word, the impact, the power, if, I don't, if the words don't mean anything, if they don't have any impact to me, he says in verse 11, then uh, I will be like one who speaks a barbarian. Uh, and he's saying there a barbarian was a, one of those words that was used uh, as an onomatopoeia word. It's one of those words that uh, we, get it, we get the sound of uh, the sound of the word actually makes the word like gargle. He's going to gargle or buzz or whatever. These different words that come about because they sound like it. When people hear somebody speak a foreign language, it sounded to them like bar, 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 bar. So they came up with barbarian. That's where the, the term got its, its, its meaning. And so he's saying we basically are unintelligible to one another. We're like two foreigners who don't know each other's languages and we're trying to speak to each other. And it lacks impact. A third that Paul gives... Um, is that tongues were limited in their ability to build up others, verses 3 through 5 and 12 through 17. And so we're looking at the word edification, and that word edification is found a number of times in, in, the, in these verses. Um, so we, we find it uh, at least five times in these verses. So Paul mentioned this word over and over again, edify. To edify means to build up, to strengthen, And we're going to see four details about edification that help us to see why building up others is so important. Four details about edification. That's what we're looking at this morning. Uh, We're focusing in on verses 3 through 5 and 12 through 17. The first detail about edification is that scope matters. Scope matters. When I talk about scope, I'm talking about the breadth. I'm talking about... uh, Who is being built up? Is it everybody in the church or is it just one person being built up? And we look at verses 3 and 4 and it says, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. But one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. So we see two types of edification here. We see self-edification, building up yourself, and we see church edification. Is self-edification wrong? No. Okay? Then why does he seem to make it sound like it's wrong here? And, and I, I, that usually when I want to trick somebody, I'll ask Rick Dempsey, and then I'll say, you're wrong. Uh, but uh, uh, is self-edification wrong? No. Okay, you're wrong. No. So um, um, uh, yes and no. It's a trick question. But uh, the bottom line is it can be wrong. Self-edification can be wrong. In this case, it is wrong. The trouble is that some people come here and they they look at this passage and they say, oh, well, how can it be wrong to edify yourself? 
Um, I mentioned last week there's a children's Sunday school book that on one page has a drawing of a weightlifter wearing a T-shirt that says Spirit Man, and you color in, you know, the picture. And underneath it, it says 1 Corinthians 14.4, he that speaks in an unknown tongue builds himself up as though it's a positive thing. But the context here seems like it's a negative thing. Kenneth Hagin, again, I mentioned him last week as a false teacher. He has a little book entitled Why Tongues. He gives 10 reasons why all Christians should speak in tongues today, which really kind of neglects all of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians because uh, it's clear from chapter 12 that not everybody should pursue the same gift. We all are gifted in different ways as we're all a part of a body. But reason number two in his little booklet is that tongues produces spiritual edification. And as support, he quotes 1 Corinthians 14.4, he who speaks in it himself. Regarding that, he says, quote, in writing to the church at Corinth, Paul encouraged them to continue in the practice of speaking with other tongues in the worship of God and in, the, in their prayer lives as a means of spiritual edification. So... In this case, self-edification was wrong because the context of this is a worship service. And so self-edification, I mean, so the word builds us up, right? The word strengthens. So if you go and read the word in the morning privately, that can build you up. But how ridiculous would it be if you say, I'm going to read scripture as part of our worship service, and you come up and you stand here and you say, all right, I'm, re- I'm, I'm reading now. Oh, man. Oh, that's good. Oh, this is rich. Wow. Wasn't that great? You know, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to read scripture this morning. I read it and that really edified me. It was fantastic. You see how wrong that would be? Uh, and so that kind of activity, while that can be a thing, as part of a corporate worship service, would be meaningless, pointless, a waste of time. Um, and so, so that's why Paul says that uh, in, in this passage that he compares the two and says prophecy is much better. Prophecy, remember, is speaking forth the word of God. It's the gift of communicating God's message. Prophecy in the scriptures did not mean necessarily that you were telling the future, but a prophet spoke forth the very words of God, thus says the Lord. And in the New Testament era, the apostles had the gift of prophecy because they were speaking forth the word of God, and the word of God hadn't been recorded yet. Um, uh, In the era, the gift of prophecy still exists in the sense that there are still people who speak forth the very word of God, and that can be confirmed with the word of God, which is complete. Um, verse 14 seems to indicate that at times the speaker himself didn't even understand what he was saying. Paul uses himself as an example. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But, but it seems like somehow you could be speaking in a tongue and have the gift of tongues, and maybe you don't even know what you're saying. And that was probably a big part of the abuse, is that people either were um, saying, oh, I would like to speak in tongues and come up and speak in tongues and then sit down and nothing else would happen. Or maybe everyone was being encouraged to speak in tongues at the same time so that somebody walks in the back of the church and they hear everybody going, 
whatever. I tie my bow tie, you tie my bow tie, I tie my bow tie as fast as you can, and then you can speak tongues. Or, or you know, um, you know, any little phrase or some kind of just gibberish. Uh, and somehow that's glorifying God, and, and people are thinking, this sounds crazy. And so Paul is using a bit of sarcasm here. He edifies himself. He builds himself up. Um, so we, we see this. Um, and we saw it actually back in uh, earlier in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, I think it's in chapter 8. Um, verse 10. Yeah. Remember, remember we were talking about um, in 1 Corinthians 8, eating meat sacrificed to idols and how those who were mature knew it was nothing wrong with that because an idol is nothing. And so eating meat sacrificed to idols was actually eating meat sacrificed to nothing. But those who were weak in their faith, the weaker brothers, used to worship those idols. And so when they knew that you were eating meat sacrificed to those idols, it brought up all the memories of their old pagan, idolatrous lifestyle. And it was a stumbling block for them. And Paul sarcastically says in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 10, If someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened? And the word there is is to be edified, to be built up. It's the same word. Isn't he going to be built up? And he's saying it sarcastically because he's not. Uh, to eat things sacrificed to idols, verse 11 makes that clear. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. You think you're strengthening him? And so find others is something important in the church. And we see in our passage that scope matters. You don't just build yourself up in front of other people. I mean, that goes against what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not self-seeking. You're not there to like draw attention to yourself. And this is a reminder that spiritual gifts that are given to you by God are given to you so that you can use them to build up others. We're not given spiritual gifts for self-edification. Spiritual gifts are given to help build up others. So, um, now how was church edification beneficial? We've seen how self-edification in corporate worship is totally wrong. But building up others in corporate worship is to be pursued. Um, And verse 3 gives us three ways. It's through edification, it's through exhortation, it's through consolation. The word edify there is, we've already talked about, to build up. The word house is actually in there. Um, The word exhortation uh, is a great word. It has the word kaleo in it, which means to call, and para, mean para alongside, to call alongside. We get the word paraclete from it. Who is the paraclete? The Holy Spirit, who is our helper, who comes alongside us. And so somebody who has the gift of exhortation isn't somebody who just stands up in front of people and says, do this, do that, shame on you, right? But it's a gift of actually being able to come alongside true teachings and helping people come to that truth. 
It's beautiful. The other word there that's uh, common is, is, is consolation. And it actually has, uh, it's a compound word or it's two words together. One word has the word to talk or story. And the other one is alongside, that same root para. And so it's to talk alongside. We would say, man, that person just talking helped me so much. It's this idea of consolation, comforting, and talking through issues with a biblical mindset. That's what consolation is. And so we have this, um, uh, this idea of gifts matter, the scope matters. Um, the wider the scope, the more people who are built up, encouraged, and comforted who are going through difficult times, the better. Not only does scope matter, but we see in verse 5 that simplicity matters. Simplicity matters. This is the second detail that helps us see why edification is so important. Scope matters, but simplicity matters. When I say simplicity, there are fewer steps, and so it makes it better. Look at verse 5. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. So um, he, we have this idea of, um, uh, I mean, in mathematical terms, you have tongues plus interpretation equals understanding and edification. But the gift of prophecy equals understanding and edification. Because if you're speaking forth the word of God and people understand it, they will be edified. So it's a shorter equation. It's like old math and new math. It takes longer if it's the same. I don't know. I don't know the difference. But anyways, um, uh, you get the understanding. So, so then the question comes, well, if that's what tongues is, and tongues takes time because you need two gifts, two people, you need the interpreter, and you need uh, that, and prophecy so much better, then why have tongues in the first place? You tell me. There are several reasons. We talked about one before, yes? Yeah, different languages. So it would have been very convenient as the word of God went out to be able to speak different languages to different people, like on the day of Pentecost. But another reason, and we'll see this when we get into it actually next week. Look at at, um, the next passage, um, verse 21. In the law, it is written by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So he says, he prophesied, that's from Isaiah chapter 28, 700 years before Christ came, it was prophesied that the, the gospel will be spoken forth, the good news, God's message will be spoken forth in strange tongues. So, and the writer, Paul, here in 1 Corinthians, takes that and applies that to now. To them of when he was in the church in Corinth. That, that, so, so another reason for tongues is it was prophesied that this would happen. This was one of the supernatural signs that would happen at the coming of the Messiah. And also, um, uh, as we talked about before, it confirmed, I believe that this gift, and we'll see this as we go through the rest of chapter 14, was primarily for unbelieving Jews. Because the, the hurdle for a Jew to worship with a Gentile is greater than we can imagine. 
we talk about racial, racial reconciliation in the church today. There is no more divided group than the group of Jew and Gentile. At heart, the animosity between those two groups in the first century was so great, we have no, no idea. I mean, at least today, when somebody is called a racist, they recognize it's a bad derogatory term. But they have no seeing themselves as racist against Gentiles. And so it was a culture that was so divided, and God gave a sign to the Jews that on the day of Pentecost, many of them heard the wonders of God being spoken in their own tongues. And 3,000 of them believed that day. But uh, not uh, there were many more who did not believe. But for those who did believe, uh, and for those who didn't believe, then they saw the same gift come to the Samaritans and the, and the Gentiles, and it would have been a sign gift to help them embrace the church and this new foundation that was being laid. Um, so we've seen the scope matters. We've seen simplicity matters in verse 5. That is, it's, uh, it's more direct. It's less, fewer steps, that is. But a third detail about edification that will show you how important it is, is that the seeking matters. The seeking matters. Verses 12 through 14. Take a look down at verses 12 through 14. Verse 12 says, So also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abide. Church, again, we've got edification. Seek this. Go after this. He's not saying go after spiritual gifts. And I think that's interesting because... We teach on spiritual gifts. There are classes on spiritual gifts. There are tests you can take on spiritual gifts. I, I'm not sure that they're really valid because they're, uh, I mean, unbelievers can take them and say, oh, these are my spiritual gifts. But, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not sure that everyone knows what their spiritual gifts are, that you have to know the exact makeup of your spiritual gift. It, it, it's a, for lack of a better term, it's a cocktail, okay? It's a, which I've come to understand means you mix a bunch of things in it, right? Okay, who can tell me that? Don't, don't raise your hand. All right, so, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a conglomeration. It's not that you have this gift and that's all you have, and you have this gift, or I have 10 gifts and you have none. Everybody has a unique gift, okay? And it's a combination. That's probably a better word, right? A combination of gifts put together, designed for you as you serve in the church, and you can dissect it and look at your own gift and say, oh, I have this gift. And you can say, look at the gift that I got or whatever. But again, it's not, that's not the point. The point is, what should you be seeking after? It's right there in verse 12. Seek to abound for the edification of the church. Instead of focusing on, hey, what are my spiritual gifts? Try zealously seeking to serve the body of Christ and building up others. Verse 13, Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Let's talk about spiritual gifts. All right? We talked about these in chapter 12. It's been a long time since we actually reviewed them. I want to just run down through them, okay? Depending on 
how you place this in the scripture that actually uh, list out spiritual gifts, but the, 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 each place is not intended to give us a comprehensive list, but it gives us an idea of what these spiritual gifts might look like. And depending on how you count them, there could be about 15. Some of them overlap. Some of them are the same. But uh, the first three no longer exist. That is the ability to do wonders and signs. Christ performed many miracles. Um, and Paul used this gift to infer, affirm his apostleship. He mentions in um, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. But they were sign gifts. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 says that uh, they confirmed the word which was spoken. Since the word is complete, how do we confirm the word which is spoken now? Through the word. It would be fun if all preachers got the gift of miracles. I've often said that I would like to have the one that just that Moses had with the, the, you know, the hand turning leprosy or whatever. I mean, I think, you know, as a little boy, that sounded like a really fun one, right? Like, hey, thanks, thanks for coming today. Oh, sorry. Hang on just a second. I got my leprosy hand on. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. And just... How do you know he's a good teacher? Well, he's got a leprous hand that he, boom, it's gone, you know? Um, again, it's not for the edification of myself, so I don't have that gift. But the, the gift of miracles doesn't exist like that anymore today. But uh, uh, how do you know that I'm teaching the Word of God? You have the Word of God. So you can confirm it with the Word of God. Um, healing. Healing, we, we're not saying that God doesn't heal. But God doesn't give an individual the gift of healing as he did uh, in the early church. With Peter had this gift, um, it, it affirmed his message. Christ had the gift, the disciples had the gift, the 70 had the gift in Luke 10. Um, there were associates of the apostles who had the gift in Acts chapter 8. But um, they healed by word, they healed by touch, they healed instantaneously, they healed totally, they healed to all who came, and they healed, um, they raised the dead. We just don't see this today. Not, I mean, it, it, it's just not there. Um, you say, well, what is happening today? Well, there, there are a number of possibilities when you see uh, sort of a healing crusade. The power of suggestion is oftentimes what takes place. It's amazing when you gather a, big, a bunch of people in a stadium or in a big gathering and you play music for an hour or so and you tell them something special is going to happen and, and people who are hurting and who are suffering get like really excited, like maybe something is going to happen. And then, and then all of a sudden, uh, I, I have people who are, you know, I'm blowing and people are falling over. And a lot of that is crowd manipulation and the power of suggestion. And then people running across the stage out of a wheelchair only to get back in the wheelchair afterwards. Why? They get a rush of adrenaline that somehow gets them excited. There's a lot of things. What happens oftentimes are those who have real, lifelong, physical, visible, not on stage. Why is that? Because it's not the same. It's something different. So it can be, I think, I think um, it can be uh, that uh, visible, uh, that sort of um, uh, power of suggestion. It can be um, something that happens with uh, um, charlatanism. There's, there, there's, I mean, uh, I've shared with you before, I had a friend who went to get his leg lengthened. I don't know why that's a common thing, but he, he had it. So he's like, I'm going to go to a leg lengthener. You know, I've got one leg shorter than the other. And they put his legs up on the table and they pulled his pant leg up and said, I can see his leg growing. 
He says, all they're doing, my leg wasn't growing. They're just pulling my pant leg up. It was like a, you know, whoa. You know, it was like, you know, this guy's amazing, you know. He does all kinds of tricks. It's charlatanism happening in the church in the name of worship. Um, It could be that God uses other means to heal. Sometimes people are healed from cancer and they credit it to a faith healer, and at the same time, they're getting other medical treatment for that cancer. It could be that God has chosen to supernaturally heal a person, which he is able to do, and I believe he does do even today, uh, but not in the same way he did in the first century and not given to a person who has that gift. Um, And then I think tongues and interpretation of tongues are not a gift that is for today. Those are three gifts that were in the early church that are not for today. Um, uh, the, 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 I guess interpretation would be a fourth gift. So um, because we just don't have anybody who can speak foreign languages today who uh, has not studied them, and we don't have any evidence of that. I'm going to go on and give, give, go with the list of gifts that are for today that we find in Scripture. But before I do, any questions about what, anything I've said up to now? Just pause and make sure we're all... Yes? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think miracles, I think, yeah, if you claim you have the gift of miracles today and you don't go to the hospital and heal everybody in it, why, are, why wouldn't you do that? You're cruel. I think that there was, a, uh, now Jesus had a specific purpose for his miracles and he demonstrated them to Israel. Uh, his goal wasn't to go throughout the whole world. But there was a cessation of in the time of Jesus to the extent where Jews who came to him for healing were healed. And it wasn't like, oh, you know, uh, I can't do this or, uh, you know. He had purposes and his purpose, main purpose wasn't just for healing. Um, but healing was part of what he came and he did. Other questions? Yes. So when did these gifts cease? So it, it, um, when we look at um, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, it says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. So by the time of 1 Corinthians, when it was written, tongues was still, in, in, still active. And in the future tense, they will cease. We talked a lot about this verse when we did this. If you didn't hear this message, I encourage you to go back and listen to this one. But we talked about the fact that this is a middle verb, which means that um, it ceases all by itself. It's actually involved in the ceasing. Whereas the other verbs in this verse are passive verbs, which means something happens to them to cause them from stopping. And knowledge and prophecy will also, something will happen, and we learn later in this same chapter that when the perfect comes, that's what stops them. But tongues will cease all by itself. And I would, uh, I, I believe there's really good evidence that tongues ceased before the scriptures were even complete. 
fulfilled their purpose because we don't think it's mentioned at all in books that were written, written later, even in Paul's lifetime. But for sure, by the time the canon closed, we have no record of tongues being spoken in the early church. In fact, any time throughout church history when tongues were spoken in a Christian gathering or when there was a claim, that is, that tongues were spoken, um, it was always associated with a heresy. And the people were always ostracized. And it wasn't until about 1900 that the Christian church started to accept this idea that evangelicals were not heretics who practiced tongues. Part of the reason for that is that I don't believe that what is practiced today is tongues. It's just not. I've been in services repeated over and over again where this, is, this so-called gift is being exercised. Uh, uh, it, is not, it is not the gift of languages, and there's no interpretation. It's everybody at the end of a song just kind of giving a buzz, or it's somebody standing up and speaking some kind of gibberish that has no rhyme or reason. And it, it, it involves self-edification, no interpretation, and, uh, and even when it is, I mean, I know uh, some seminary students, one of them uh, I knew who went to Calvin Seminary, uh, had to memorize the Lord's Prayer in Greek. And so they went and visited a uh, charismatic church. Three of them did. And one of the, they had a time where actually you could stand up and a guy would walk up and down the aisle and interpret. And so one of the guys stood up and the other two seminarians, which seminarians are kind of a weird bunch already. So they, they looked at him like, like, what's going on here? I mean, this is, you know, what, what is going to happen? And he gets up and as fast as he can, he recites the Lord's Prayer in Greek. And the interpreter said, these young men are so happy to be here, and they wish you all well. And it had nothing to do with the Lord's Prayer. So what, does that prove that, you know, okay, so it proves that seminarians are geeky, all right? Yeah, so, but, uh, but you see what I'm saying? It just, we don't have this today. So what I believe happens today is ecstatic speech, and the church has accepted it. It is not my mission in life to go out there and stop every, every church from doing this. My mission is to preach the word, explain the word, help us all to understand it and be responsible to apply it how it, it should be understood. Uh, my, and, and, and I believe my gifting is to, is to teach the word of God, is to speak forth the word of God. Um, and uh, and, and uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a challenging thing. This is a challenging thing. I do this. I exercise my gift because I believe that God has called me to use it to build up others. And that's what motivates me to do it. That's what excites me to do it. That's why I do it. All right, let's, let's move on. We'll probably have questions still at the end, I think. Um, so uh, let's talk about gifts that are for today. Prophecy, we've already talked about speaking forth the word of God. Teaching, the ability to teach the word of God, bless the hearers with understanding of the scripture. Somebody mentioned last week, we said that all those who preach or prophesy do teach, but not all teachers necessarily speak forth the word in a preaching kind of way. Um, faith, faith is a gift given by God. And many of these gifts 
there's a certain element where we're all to practice it, right? We're all to have faith. Every believer has faith, but there's a special gift, the gift of faith that is given to some believers and what you have. But faith is that consistent, enabling faith that believes God even in the face of overwhelming obstacles. And so it's also, I mean, you know, uh, Pastor MacArthur calls this gift the gift of prayer because it is so often associated with prayer. Um, that you are have such a, a prayerful and godly trust during a difficult time. There's wisdom, the gift of wisdom, the ability to apply wisdom uh, gained from spiritual insight. It's applying knowledge. There's also the gift of knowledge that's understanding the facts of Scripture. Now, from a from a from a secular perspective or outside of Christianity, I mean, it's it's a it's a natural ability to remember things, but this goes beyond that. This is a supernatural ability to be able to know the truth of Scripture in a way that is broad and deep. And we have people who are very gifted in this. There's also uh, discernment, the ability to able to tell which things are of the Spirit, which things are not, to discern between truth and error. It's a very important gift for the protection of the church. There's the gift of mercy. That is someone who has the supernatural, God-given ability to exercise compassion with other people, show deep compassion to those who have all kinds of needs, whether they be spiritual or physical or emotional. There's a gift of exhortation. We've already talked about this word, which is to come alongside someone to encourage them to do what the word of God would have them do. That's what exhortation is. It's, it's to motivate. Um, it's possible to give, but some have a, a gift to um, give to material needs, whether that be food or clothing or money or housing, but uh, in response to the needs of the church and what's going on. There's the gift of administration, which has, or leadership, sometimes it's called. It's, it's much more than an Excel spreadsheet. It's, 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 uh, it's actually the ability to oversee the flock. Um, I think this gift often has the ability to see giftedness in others and encourage them and place them in areas of ministry where they can serve in the body. Um, There's the gift of helps. That's aiding in a time of need or bearing one another's burdens. There's the gift of service. That is working for the body of Christ, physical ministries or needs, and serving wherever it is. Um, 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift... So what's interesting is that it's singular. Each one, as each member of the body, each believer has received a gift, singular. That's why I believe that it's got to be a combination of gifts, but they use the word singular, so it's not gifts. It's this gift bouquet. Bouquet, that's a nice way of all these different flowers in there. Let's come up with a new, new illustration. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Peter says, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same same, And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if you are a genuine believer, if you repented of your sins and turned and trusted in Christ as your Lord and Master, and you are saved and you are regenerated, you have been given a gift to be used for the edification of the body. There's something in in, uh, 
verse 14 that I'll just mention for a moment. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on because I want to get through this. But um, verse 14, he says, my spirit. And there are lots of people say, well, what is, what's spirit talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit? There are three options, actually. I don't think he's talking about the Holy Spirit because it doesn't make sense that he'd say my spirit and then my mind because he's not talking about the Holy Spirit's mind. Um, there's a second possibility that he's speaking about um, uh, um, it's interesting. It goes back to um, verse 13. The word spiritual gifts, the word gifts there is not there. It's actually spirituals. And so somebody is saying he's talking about gifts here, my gifts or my gift or my gifting. I, I don't think that's the best interpretation either because it seems like he's also saying the mind is unfruitful. And if this is a real spiritual gift, it, the spirit doesn't give gifts that are unfruitful. So he would have to be talking about a counterfeit gift here. Um, so I think most likely when he says my spirit, he's talking about his own innermost being. And, um, and, and, and I think that he's emphasizing that mind has to be involved as well. So, and he does that because he also speaks about singing, um, which, which brings us really to our, our fourth detail. So let me jump into that. So we've seen the scope, of, the scope matters, simplicity matters, seeking matters, but the fourth one is the sense matters or the understanding matters. It needs to make sense. Verse 15, what is the outcome then? I will pray and I will pray with the Spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. Verse 15, what Paul essentially is saying here is, if I'm going to pray, it's not going to be mindless prayer. If I'm going to sing, it's not going to be mindless singing. And there might be an implication here that since both praying and singing can be done alone and be fine to do alone, but you're not going to do that in your mind and you're not going to do that privately or in a way that people don't understand you in the public worship. Um, and uh, verse 16, he talks about giving thanks he says, in other words, if you give thanks, if you bless in the spirit only, I think he's talking about my spirit there, um, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted? It's a word, weird way of saying that. Ungifted is that word I mentioned last week. Um, it, it actually, uh, ungifted is idio, idiotu. We get the word idiot from it. So I, I don't think he's saying here that Believers are idiots, and I think that the word here uh, is not used in an offensive way. It would be offensive to say, hey, how are we going to worship when the idiots come in and worship with us? But it's translated as unskilled, ungifted. I think because he's talking about somebody who's wasting time in a service, speaking in a foreign language with a true, genuine gift, or even worse, maybe they're giving a counterfeit gift and faking it, and somebody walks in who doesn't have the gift of interpretation, and no interpretation is given. So to them, it's idiotic. I think that's what's there. It's, it's they, they have no way of 
of applying it. Or an unbeliever walks in and only there's no interpretation. It's just this weird language being spoken, strange to them. So in either case, how are they going to say amen? How are they going to say, so be it? Amen? Sorry. You've got to think about it before you say amen. How will the unskilled person, the unlearned, And so Paul's saying, you might be genuinely giving thanks in your public worship, but those around you can't understand you. How are you building them up? And um, what we see here is that being spiritual is much more than just a mental activity, but it always involves the mind. Being spiritual isn't something where we separate the mind from us and we do sort of ecstatic dance or speech or something that removes us from thinking. Think of these verses, and do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Colossians 3, 9, and 10. Do not lie to one another since you laid us off the old self with, with its evil practices and have put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge created him. So let me try to wrap it up this way. We live in a day and age where people go to church and they have a consumer mentality. They come to church and they say, yeah, I, I liked it for a time, but I don't like it anymore because I don't like the music or I, you know, the time doesn't work out for me or whatever. And so they leave the church and they may not have a good reason for leaving the church. There are good reasons to leave a church, but music or, you know, unless there's heresy going on, you know, let, let The question I like to ask people before they leave a church, because maybe they're discontent with what's going on in the church. My question is, how have you been using your gift to the church of Christ? And that's what struck me from this passage, is that these gifts are intended for every one of us, and every one of us who is a believer has a gift. How are you seeking to build up others in the body of Christ. Edification is important. Building up others is important. That matters. The simplicity matters. Seeking matters. And the understanding matters. What are you doing? If you have the gift of giving, are you using it to help promote people understanding the word of God? Because just giving it indiscriminately to everything that comes along is not really the way it should be practiced. Uh, it, it, the gift of mercy, uh, compassion. Where are you investing that so that the understanding of the word happens? And I think we can get carried up in, in not seeking to use our gifts in the right way. We're out of time. So we're still going to come back next week. We're going to be looking at the purpose of spiritual gifts. We'll go on to the right practice of spiritual gifts. And we'll be looking at that. Let me just close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time together. We do thank you for the challenge of your word. And I think many of us came here this morning thinking more about how we might be built up rather than how might we build up others using the gifts you have given us. Help us in this fellowship group to be about others, to abound in building up others. And so I, I thank you, Father, for the time in your word. I thank you even for the confusion in the 
church in Corinth, which has caused us to evaluate this passage deeply to see how we might honor you in all that we do. We lift to you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.